Greetings, I'm Ellen Rohr. At Bare Bones Biz, we believe that your business can be a path to peace, prosperity, and freedom. Sound good? Great. Welcome to the Bare Bones Biz Radio Show. Hey, if you just want to make some more money, you've come to the right place, too. On my show, I invite smart business builders to share success tips and tell their inspiring tales of challenge and triumph. So, saddle up, Biz Builder. The Bare Bones Biz Radio Show starts right now. Greetings, it's Ellen Rohr. And uh, you and I, we are too old to waste any more time. You know, it's May already, it's 2011 already. How did that happen? And if you were to have all your dreams come true, would your life look like the life you're living right now? I recently read a survey that said 33% of Americans hate their job. So what about you? Do the math on that job. Will it provide you with the lifestyle and the money you need to play out your dreams? What about a business? Do you have a business? Is that business sucking the money, the life, the time right out of you? Well, it's not too late. Knowing what you don't want is the springboard to knowing what you do want, and it's not too late if we get go, go, going. So may this radio show and our radio show guest today provide you with the inspiration you need to create real, positive, transformational change in your life, your business, and your bank account. Let's ask this question today. What do you really want, and how can you make that happen? My friend, Isisara Bay, is our guest, and she's Vice President of Programs and Education for Count Me In for Women's Economic Independence. You know, my last name used to be Economo, and I still struggle with that word, (laughs) (laughs) independence. And she's a journey agent for its signature Make Mine a Million business competitions. Isisara is also kind, loving, graceful, thoughtful, Mm. and you're so smart. Now, at Barebones Biz, my intention is to help you find the freedom that a winning business of your own could promise. Isisara has a great story to share today, and she has advice for us for creating life and work from the inside out. So, dear listener, may I introduce to you my dear friend, Isisara Bay. Greetings, everyone. Hello, my dear Ellen. How are you? I'm feeling wonderful. If I could could, um, put one word that I would describe you, it would be, uh, with which I could describe you, it is grace. You are ah, grateful. Thank and you. And it's such a joy to have you in in my life. So thanks for being on our show today. Now, um, transformation, creating the life that you want, that work really begins from the inside out. So, Isisara, I want you to start today by sharing your story. How did you... Um, come to to be right here with us on the phone today on this topic. Now, before I let you loose, I'm just realizing I should do a little bit of housekeeping. Okay. If you are listening in and you want to ask a question, we encourage questions and interaction today. You do have to call in to do that, and you can call in by dialing 347-637-2284. And if you want to ask a question at that point, you can press the number one on your call pad and your hand will go up on my little switchboard over here. The switchboard's starting to fill up, Isisara, so that's kind of fun. So if you do have a question, feel free to interrupt us, and I'll be in charge of checking the switchboard now and then. 347-637-2284. Or you can just listen in online, whichever works best for you. We also record these calls. They'll be up on my blog talk radio show page and at barebonesbiz.com. You can always listen in on our, our podcast, so check that out at barebonesbiz.com. 
All right. So let's okay. get go go going. Isasara, tell me a little bit about your story. It is synchronicity that we are doing a radio program because my first love and my first career was in radio. I, yes, I fell in love with radio as a child. I'm a first-generation American of uh, Guyanese parents, and I would go home to Guyana with my family uh, during my childhood, and at that time, there was no television. I mean, there was no television in, in Guyana until the mid-80s, 1980s. So there were two national radio stations, and everything happened on the radio, not just music, but soap operas from Britain and educational programs and even something called the Death Announcements, where they would play this funereal organ music and then the announcer would announce all the Guyanese that had died anywhere in the world so that people would know who was living and who wasn't. And you from know, that's that... It's really interesting that um, um, Internet radio is now... Um, just bubbling up as a huge force. And I think mm -hmm. the way we're getting our news and the way journalists are operating, this is all going to change, but I think there's some really exciting, wonderful opportunities in these new mediums like Internet radio. Yes. So welcome yes. to your, back to your first life. Thank you. What, uh, what I determined from that, and as a child I was invited on radio programs uh, because I was an American. I was a bit of a novelty. I remember the first time I talked about babysitting, which was something I did as a teenager, and uh, the gentleman interviewing me had never heard of it. So, And another time I had an uncle who had a show that uh, he played jazz, and he asked me to bring my record. So I had my 45s, and I remember we played uh, the Jackson 5's ABC, and we would critique each other's music, and he said, well, it's kind of catchy, but I don't think that group's going to get very far. That was, we are about of the same generation, because the very first concert I went to was to go see Michael Jackson and the Jackson mm -hmm. 5. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah. So this communicating with people uh, through the airwaves, uh, I went on in college and grad school to major in communications, and my first professional job was as a radio host on a station in Baltimore, Maryland, Monday through Friday, 6 to 10, and uh, once a week on a call-in talk show, and then once a week on a pre-recorded uh, show that uh, put together metaphysics and history and culture. So I feel as though, as you said in the announcement, that I am journey agent. I feel as though I have been using communications to help people get from where they are to where they want to be, because this is what I saw as a child, how it linked people all together and touched people in a very vulnerable place because the difference between radio and the visual communications medium is that in radio you use your imagination to supply the pictures. You have the sounds that tell you, but your imagination then is limitless. So I've always loved the communications arts as a way for people to reach out, see and understand each other, and also to reach in and see and understand ourselves. And that's really the theme of our conversation today. Absolutely. Working from, Working from the inside out. So I wanted to jump to how I got from uh, radio and television. I left there and worked for a motion picture company, Columbia Pictures in California, and then uh, moved east to Sony Music, uh, which was my last communications job uh, four years ago. Uh, 
and I came over to count me in for women's economic independence through that age-old system called networking. Okay. It was my uh, goodbye party after 20 years with Sony Pictures and Sony Music. I worked in strategic philanthropy, and I had supported and sponsored programs by Count Me In and uh, other work that Nell had done. Nell Merlino, who's the president of Count Me In, that she had done with her communications company. So she came to my goodbye party, which was in the Sony Club in New York, in the upstairs on the executive floor. And there were a couple of hundred people, organizations I'd sponsored, other corporate friends that I had partnered with, community groups, and uh, artists. We had live music and spoken word and food, and it was lovely. And she asked me to come and help count me in with its uh, development. And that's what, how I'm what here. Made you, what made you leave Sony? Is it you know you had a, a a powerful career? What was it inside you? I, I'm finding that this is what I'm reflecting on, knowing that this this uh, conversation was going to happen today. These mm-hmm. moments of epiphany and these midlife crises that that happen to us or that we create in our lives, but th- they can be such powerful, positive moments that cause us to take that next leap, or we can get seriously stuck to where we hate our job or we hate our business. And so what made you leave Sony? Were you unhappy there? I I wasn't unhappy. It was uh, seeing the writing on the wall called Napster in the late 90s and the impact it had on the music industry. And I knew that in a few years, the industry was contracting more and more. Uh And... uh, And so finally it got to the point where my department was no longer sustainable. So what is, and I'm glad we're talking about this because it's something that has impacted me in my life more than I thought. I saw it coming. And so I was relatively prepared. And the company I worked for and the man I reported to was gracious enough to help me make the transition that was very respectful of my years of service in the company. But what I noticed around me was that many of my peers, many of the women that I knew that were other corporate execs in other companies that I had worked with, we were all kind of being pushed out. This was before the economic downturn of a couple of years ago, two years before, so that it began to feel really personal. And I wrestled with this fact that the company no longer had a space for me, and that I would be facing an opportunity to try and do something new. But the other things that I noticed with my friends and in society was that we were really kind of being edged out. We weren't we weren't in our twenties or thirties, so we weren't cheap in terms of hiring us. So what they were missing though was the fact that at this stage in our lives we were seasoned. We had right. been through, we had tried and tested. We were the ones that could help them nurture and mentor their younger employees so that they could take on leadership down the line. Uh, but we saw that uh, it wasn't being viewed that way out in the world. But what I was seeing were women who were collecting themselves and moving into new directions, taking it as an opportunity to do some things they'd always wanted to do. And I think that that's, um, uh, what you're expressing is such a positive response to that kind of Im- impending change. I mean, there mm-hmm. there is the, the fact that you're getting older and 
that is an issue for those of us who are not the new up-and-comers anymore. But there's mm-hmm. also that the industry itself changed, and so there is going to be yes. some restructuring and resorting, and this can be an opportunity to say, look how um, screwed over I am, or maybe this is a neat opportunity for me to uh, springboard to something even better. And let me be a little real. There were moments when I did feel the look how I'm screwed over. You know, there were moments when it was not pretty, you know, in the Bay Psyche. But uh, overall, I realized that uh, if I'm still breathing, I still have an opportunity to do something more and new. Uh, When my parents were in their 50s, they were retiring and kind of hanging it up. And I knew, though, that that was a different era, and that's not our era. And I remember when I was at Sony Music in my late 40s, they started by talking with us about thinking about retirement. Now, granted, it was a long way off, but I appreciated the advance notice because the first message they gave was that even if you retire at 58 or 60, particularly if you're a woman, you could live another 30 years. That's a whole career. It is, and and for me, you know, one of the reasons why I'm so ambitious is that I watched other people retire and then become good as dead. Exactly. My, my dad had already always been really vital and a, 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 um, a business owner, an entrepreneur. As soon as he retired, it was like night and day. I mean, within months, he was severely stricken with Alzheimer's, and I am making Oof. connections. And I think that's what um, drives me is, like, what would retirement mean if if it means that? You know, I didn't so, want yes. to have that happen. So part of creating life and work from the inside out is having a real clear assessment of who you are and where you are and not really just taking the policy line from society in general. Retirement isn't what it was for our parents, and it wasn't even what it was for them, your father being a great example. Uh, Understanding that, staying active and engaged and living from that place inside that speaks to your own creative expression, no matter what it is. And when I say creative, I don't just mean in the artistic sense. I mean in the sense of finding novel and new ways of doing things, whether they be in novel and new ways of cleaning a house or finding a cure for a disease or coming up with the the mathematical equation that will help the economy or creating a play or a program or starting a business. Using our creative abilities to see something different uniquely and then implementing it uh, starts with a clear assessment of who we are and where we are right now. And who I, uh, who I was four years ago was someone who was coming to an end of a corporate career and also looking at the fact that perhaps I would not work for another company. Some people do. Some of my peers have gone on to move into other companies. But many of us have become entrepreneurial partially because we'd like to try an idea on our own, but also partially because those opportunities are not making themselves as available to work for other companies as they did before. So I have to, you know, to be truthful, it was a bit scary because I was raised in the generation of you get a killer education and no one can take that away from you, and then you start working and you start building your retirement. Those, that's what my father said to me in my 20s. Because that no, I was think his that model. That's what, 
you know, that's what's uh, dawning on me. It's certainly uh, um, what I'm noticing with the, the folks with whom I counsel or the business, other business owners uh, with whom I, I, I visit. If if you thought that you could get a job and that job would be all you need to take you through the rest of your life, I just don't see that playing out. No, it doesn't happen anymore. Anymore. So, you know, even if you have a job, is a business of your own an opportunity to not only express your creativity and do things that you really, really want to do, but maybe essential to keep going if we're going to live until we're uh, 90 plus mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm. So keep going and also contributing. Uh, way of thinking. I think for, for people like us, we're really the first generation who are seeing that happen. I think our kids are like, well, of course, why would you do the same thing your whole life? But Yes, they're very different. I mean, in my uh, era, for example, when I was leaving Sony Pictures and moving to New York, I spoke with my boss about it and gave him notice, but we worked it out so that I stayed another couple of months to finish some projects before I left. Now that I'm here uh, at uh, Count Me In, for example, our younger employees think nothing of giving two weeks' notice, which is all that's mandated from them, but they give two weeks and then they're gone. doesn't matter what stage of work their projects are in, doesn't matter if we've hired someone to replace them, two weeks and out. So there's a different ethos happening. There's a different rhythm with things. It's a different it's a different way of looking at what work can provide. But there's something you, else you, I uh, wanted to... You're described as a, a journey agent, and a, yeah. a journey agent is such a, a, a powerful title. Where did that come from? It comes from, remember I said my uh, first job was in radio, uh, there is a jazz, was a jazz musician named Rasan Roland Kirk. And he wrote a song called Theme for the Ulippians, and part of the lyrics was about an artist or a man who was a journey agent. You'd see him hanging around the piers and the railway stations, and he ferried souls, in a sense, and their creativity into a new place. And I always loved that term because it was uh, a specific thing but nonspecific at the same time. So when it came time to name what it is I do and my own production company, I chose Journey Agent. Well, let's talk a little bit about your, your you know, you meet Nell, and, and for those of you who don't know Nell, Nell is one force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> she is a cyclone of energy, and uh, she, well, you wanted to describe for us, sure. count in and make mine a million and mm-hmm. your experiences the last four years. Absolutely. Give us the Reader's Digest version of the, yes, the salient the notes, right? Absolutely. Well, Count Me In for Women's Economic Independence was created by Nell Merlino in 1999 uh, as an online micro-lending fund for women business owners. Nell's life has always been about empowering women. She is the creative force behind Take Our Daughters to Work Day. She designed that for the Ms. Foundation in response to the uh, Harvard uh, white paper that had been published about how the self-esteem of girls drops between the ages of 9 and 12. So Nell came up with this idea about looking at older role models in the world of work based on her own experience watching her father. And so all of her work has been around helping women and girls achieve their rightful equal place 
in society, particularly in the world of work and around economics. So it was a micro-lending fund, count me in, for several years. And then we uh, did some research, she did some research, and discovered that the majority of women-owned businesses, according to the 2002 census, were at $50,000 a year in annual gross revenues or less, the majority of them. And so the Make Mine a Million Dollar Business, which was launched, a program launched of Count Me In with the help of American Express Open, was to help women-owned businesses reach the million-dollar threshold. At the time of that census and even this past one we had a couple of years ago, there are only about 2.3% of the 10.5 million women-owned businesses that are at a million dollars or more in gross annual revenues. So I think that's so amazing. It's amazing, I think that's isn't so amazing. it? Now, I'm, I'm going to kind of interrupt you here a little Please bit. Do. I work with so many uh, men. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is um, reverse discrimination when we start focusing on women-owned businesses? And isn't this a, a moment where we could say bootstraps ever heard of them? Why is it important for us to uh, focus on girls and women in a society as far as developing businesses? Well, for a number of reasons. I think one is, and of course, again, because of what's happened in the last uh, two years in the economy with so many men losing their jobs, things may be shifting. But the reason is because so much of society has been geared towards the male advantage. And men in the world of business had many more opportunities to do the kind of mentoring and role modeling almost second nature in a second nature kind of way than women had. Uh, for example, in the corporate world, uh, it's still predominantly men in boardrooms, men in the C-suite, meaning the chief operating, executive, marketing, diversity, et cetera, officers. Uh, they networked on the golf course and in the country club, or on the business trip. Now, of course, there are more women involved in all of those activities, and women are being proactive in learning and taking golf because they know that a lot of business happens there, or at the business meeting, et cetera. So it, um, but there has always been uh, this penchant, this attribute, this opportunity for men to almost naturally mentor and help other men that women did not have which was why things like Take Our Daughters to Work Day or things like uh, Make Mine a Million came into being. And now we know, for example, that they have worked so well, things like Title X and, and getting girls to go to college and finish, that now it's women, young women, that are the larger percentage uh, in college and finishing college. And we know that in terms of sports, now women have taken their rightful place on the playing field. So there's almost now another movement to help more young boys and men. Yeah, I was thinking about that, too, because the mm -hmm. the pendulum will shift and the the, um, trends will, will, you know, what comes around goes around. Things tend to rotate through. But the idea of transformational change, if you were, you know, if you have been a man and you have had some opportunities, the game has changed so significantly recently anyway that these transformational questions and tools are appropriate really for anybody. Yes, they certainly are. 
it just happens that you you know this has been your experience the last few years but i'm just you know thinking about as yeah. as a listener you know how appropriate yeah. these questions are no matter what your microeconomy is no, no matter what your personal situation is if you live to be you know 25 or 50 or 75 you're going to keep coming up to these moments in life where you wonder is this all there is and is this mm-hmm. what I'm good at and, and should I do something differently or what do I really really want what do I so really you really want had the opportunity to work with make mine a million and yes. so many uh um business owners what what strikes you about that experience what does it take for someone to face fear and face their economic situation and take chances and risks to make their own dreams come true. What are some of the the um, aha moments for you over the last couple of years? Well, first one would be that uh, something you said in your introduction, that dissatisfaction can be a powerful driver to change. It's knowing what it is you don't want that propels you towards what you do want. It's that feeling of, I'm stuck. I'm not fulfilling my potential. I have much more to offer. I'm just not happy with the way things are done here. Uh, I have a better idea. I have a better product. I'd like to try. I want to have an opportunity to express myself. I want to live my values. That dissatisfaction with the way things are now is a real primal driver toward moving to change. And sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes, you know, we're almost many times programmed to be used to the dissatisfaction and we find a comfortable place in the unhappiness. But sooner or later it drives us to the point where I just can't take it anymore. And that, I think, for many people who start businesses is a real motivational tool. And, of course, another is necessity. When all the bridges have been burned, when it's time to, you got to come up with the money because the kids need food or tuition needs to be paid or the mortgage needs to be paid or I've got to get that car note done and there are no other alternatives. So those kinds of being pushed against the wall things tend to work often in helping people. I remember people. Uh, uh, Jim Rohn, the mm-hmm. great business philosopher, said that, um, he was so poor at one point. He'd made a fortune and lost a fortune, and he's home one day with, you know, wondering what he's going to do with his life, and Girl Scouts uh, knock on his door and ask him if he wants to buy Girl Scout cookies. And he tells them no because he left his wallet at, at work or whatever, and he said that when he realized that he had lied to a Girl Scout, mm-hmm. he knew he had to get his life in shape. You know, these, <laughs> these moments that seem so awful can be... Um, there's where the seeds of transformation are are germinating. As a matter of fact, when things feel most frightening and most formidable, that is and most scary, that is the direction one should run toward, not away. Because the liberation that comes through facing that feeling, and it's only a feeling. Facing that. That just gave me goosebumps. Mm-hmm. that you should run towards that. You should run towards it, absolutely. Absolutely. Many times when you face down things that you're afraid of, they're not as uh, scary, not as huge and formidable as they appear to be. It's like having that tense conversation with someone that you've put off for so long because you're afraid of who knows what. 
And when you finally have it, the relief that comes from both sides, the clarity and the closeness that, that comes from taking that risk is well worth all of the effort to get there. So, so if, you, I, if you're working with people who are, who've had this kind of, uh, Michael Gerber calls it the entrepreneurial seizure, seized mm-hmm. with this feeling that I'm going to create my own business, I'm going to make a dramatic quantum leap change in my life, what keeps them from going all the way? Is it a lack of information? Is it a lack of inspiration? What keeps, you know, even having that moment, what keeps someone from being successful at that point? What keeps women from having million-dollar businesses or, you know, business owners of all of all shapes, colors, and sizes? What mm. keeps them from going all the way with their dream? Well, there are a couple of things, and, and some of them are actually not bad things. For example, someone may grow a business and decide that a $400,000 business is just fine. It's enough for me to support my family. I have a couple of employees. I'm keeping things kind of close. I can handle everything I'm doing. I don't really want to be bigger. And so they're a solopreneur, or they have a business that will be a small business, and there's nothing wrong with that. They have worked it to a point where their life is comfortable. Uh, and and so others, what I'm hearing is that it's up. It, it's important to find what your own yardstick is and not mm-hmm. keep measuring yourself against someone else. Yes. Yes, you have to find what's right and important for you mm-hmm. and what works in your own life at that moment. If your goal is to build something that you can sell down the line and make a great profit from, then yes, you have to grow your business. Uh, but if it's something that you want to keep doing for the next 25 years, you like it, you enjoy it, you have it worked out in a way that is perfect for you, and uh, you you feel that you can handle everything that's in front of you. That is a very legitimate choice to make. I've been I've been noodling this this thought lately that it is the intention that makes all the difference. That you know people I know who get really clear on what they want and are willing to take some action in that direction are the ones who find that success by their own yardstick. They get clear on what what it is they want. Would you? Would you agree with that? Well, I certainly think that everything starts with the intention. Uh, Everything should start with the intention. Uh, And I'll give an example. We uh, were, uh, Joanne, Gwen and I, who was uh, a guest on your show, Mm -hmm. Uh she and I uh, have been talking about uh, producing an event. And she was saying to me, encouraging me to do it and saying that, you know, we could get a venue and uh, I'm sure this would work and you have people who would come, et cetera. And, and I stopped her and I said, because she is a producer, an event producer, and that's what she thinks about. What's important for me is what do I want to say to the people who would come? What is the message that I think is worth sharing? And that's the intention question. So before I can think about what size place I want and how much I want to spend on it and how many people I want to come, I want to know what, why would I have this? What do I want to say? And I think that works in everything. Why would you have a business? And none of the reasons are invalid, but again, one of the things I said is working from the inside out is having clarity, knowing what's important to you and what it is you want. So um, let's talk about that, how to create real change, how to create that kind of 
certainty and, and clarity. Yep. What kind of tactical um, uh, approach could we take? I know that sounds a little counterintuitive, but there certainly no, are no, steps. No, no, actually, there are do. steps. Okay, all right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Okay. Well, for me, one of the things that the ways that I approach looking at life and looking at intention is the macrocosm, microcosm. By that I mean I look from the universal downward and not from the material upward. And the example that I gave illustrates that. I look from the bigger picture down to the particular. And that helps me to both set a grand intention and then the steps to do it. So you know the saying, think globally, act locally? It's a similar kind of thing. Charity begins at home and then spreads abroad. Well, I look abroad, but I make sure the steps start from within. So what is the intention is the first? Because I've found that unless I go big like Mm -hmm. that, Mm-hmm. I don't have the energy to get up early on a Saturday morning or get on yet another plane. You know, to me, thinking and knowing that I'm having a resonating impact in a powerful, positive way across the universe is a lot more exciting than figuring out how I'm going to hit my sales goals for the month. Well, absolutely. I, I now, think, that may uh, not appeal to everybody, but I think if you're finding yourself getting stale in your life or if you're wondering if this is all there is, certainly Isisar and I are giving you permission to think in broader terms here with our But even if a person were thinking about hitting a sales goal, I would encourage them to realize that they really have a bigger intention. It's just subliminal. For example, if someone says, I want to make a lot of money, nothing wrong with that. But again, it begs the question, why? If right. it's because, and so the why might be, I want, I want the freedom for options that money gives. I want not to be limited in how my family lives, or where my child goes to school, or what kind of vacation we can take. I want to have the freedom to help other people in the community, or start a foundation, or help my brother put a new roof on his house. So the making more money, many people might feel like that sounds like such a uh, materialistic or crass kind of endeavor, but it, 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 it has something underneath going on with it. So is that, you know, as far as the tactical approach then to start – um, from the how did you how did you put it? I'm thinking of think globally and act locally. How did you yes? I said to think from the universal downward and not the material upward, the macrocosm, microcosm, because Lovely. they are parallel. They are mirror images of each other. Actually, when we look at the universe, I was looking the other day at the pictures from the Hubble telescope, uh-huh. and as we look at the vastness of space and the fabulous colors and the the stars and galaxies and black holes and milky ways and all of that as scientists look at that we know that if we were to look at a cell the very same types of relationships and objects are in a cell they mirror they yeah. the pattern they mirror what's out there so starting from the grand vision is really just helping us to see all that is available to us. But that same vastness and that same pattern of complexity is alive in the smallest detail. So one how do you, how do, as a journey agent, how do you help people 
lift their chin and see that? Well, when I do work with groups, I may have them do various kinds of processes and exercises so that they can pull from their own imagination uh, what I'm talking about. Uh, For example, another one of these patterns that uh, resonate throughout every aspect of our lives is the saying, what goes around comes around, right? Everybody's heard that. And you can uh, find various examples of that. Uh, So at the last Make Mine a Million event, for example, when I opened the day, I talked about the four points of what goes around comes around. And it was actually something I wanted to say here because these are also another tool that can help us guide our lives and guide our businesses. So, for example, uh, I'll do the four very quickly. The first one is uh, you have to put in something in order to get something out. You have to sow to reap. We'll use planting as an example. you got to put in some seeds. Okay. Yep. Got to put some seeds in in order to get something out. That's number one. And that works with anything in our lives. You put time and attention and love into your children to see what kind of fruit is born later on. And that leads us to the second point. You can only put in, you can only get out what you put in. So as you plant seeds in your life of generosity or, for example, of tithing, Many people put aside a tenth of their income to contribute toward a place of spiritual sustenance. Um, And that tithing tends to bring a deeper reward or greater reward later on. You can tithe in a lot of different ways, your time, your energy, your wisdom. But you have to put in what it is you want to get out. You don't plant apple seeds expecting corn to come. The third point is... Yep. Exactly. So the third you, one is want, um, if you're not going to get love and peace if you're yelling and um, exactly. aggravated and spreading mm-hmm. those seeds around. Or you won't get uh, young people that have self-esteem if you're telling them they're stupid. Yeah. Uh, yeah so we that's we one and two. Peace into them. Mm-hmm. That that applies on a larger level too. Yes, and the third one is. You get back what you plant later than you plant it. And this one, I think, resonated with many people. You start a new business practice or initiate a new marketing plan or hire that new employee, and three days later you're looking for the results. Well, as we know, again, from planting, when you plant in the spring, you don't reap for a season. You have to let things germinate in the deep and the dark before they can begin to sprout that seed. And they must do it without being seen. I remember learning, for example, in uh, the way that um, uh, atoms move in particles and in waves. We talk about the wave of vibration, a vibrational wave. Now, when those particles are being looked at, they are static through a telescope, through one of those very fine microscopes. And when you look away, they move so that when you look again, they're somewhere else. So that says to us that um, when we have the potential of something, it's a wave, and when we're in the particular experience of it, it's a particle. So, again, we want to give things time 
to move in a wave, to get from one place to another, for the seed to germinate into a sprout and into a plant. And so to the leave things it be that, a moment, that the intention yes, and leave it be. Yes, got to leave it be, exactly. And trust that the alchemy of the soil, literally and metaphysically, metaphorically, is working. So that's the third one. And the fourth one is, when you wait that period of time, you get back in a greater amount than what you planted. So that if I plant uh, seeds for corn, I don't get one kernel of corn or one ear of corn. I get a stalk with many ears of corn. If I'm planting an apple seed, I get a tree with scores of apples year after year after year. So the way this can work in our lives, and I'll I'll give an example from my uh, teenage daughter who was supposed to meet me at 2.30 here at the Count Me In offices, and she left home and got to the subway. And her Metro card didn't have any more money on it, and the train was coming. And so because she didn't want to be late, she ducked under the turnstile. Uh-oh. And mm-hmm, as it so happened, there were two police officers there who pulled her over and got her ID and gave her a ticket for $100. So by the time she came to see me, she was mortified. She was embarrassed at being pulled over. She was upset because it was $100. She was in tears, I mean, sobbing, crying. And, uh, you know, she's not, uh, she's a good girl, you know. So, But uh, I thought about it, and we talked about it later, because a few days later we were at the movie theater. We were at the machine buying the ticket because the credit card wouldn't work at the desk. So we go to the machine. And they ask how many tickets you want, and I go to press two adults, and she says, put one adult and one child. And I said, you really haven't gotten this lesson yet, have you? (laughs) You want to try that again? Let's try it again. You know, the the little pinchy sneaking under the turnstile a few times here and there, and, you know, you're doing a child ticket instead of an adult because nobody is watching, and that added up to... Public humiliation and a hundred dollar fine that I took out of your bank account. All those little two fifty fares you may have ripped off over the past couple of years since you were no longer a child have added up to you. So let's don't keep going and see what bigger thing comes down the line. Let's you know, nip I love this that. little and habit of the blood. word that's coming to mind as you as you share is trust that there is a trust in the process. That maybe as I'm finding that a delight of getting older is I am much more capable of seeing those patterns than I was as a kid. Yes, yes. I just like when the worst thing happens, I'm almost like excited about you know what the best thing is going to come from this. I don't know yes. what it is yet, but I just know that we got an adventure in store. Part of it's my basic personality that I like adventure, but the other part is that I've just seen it turn around so many times. Because these patterns are real. They're real. They're not just sayings or spiritual teachings that, you know, that are in some sacred book that we can ignore. These, they tell us the ways that life works. So, you know, we know then that, you know, you have to plant in order to sow, and you can only sow what it is you plant, and then you harvest later than you plant and in greater proportion. And that works. Let's bring that to the, this idea of starting on the inside then. If this is starting yeah. to resonate with you and you're seeing this, how can we apply it 
on the inside because the work really to be done to transform mm-hmm. your business or your job or your relationships is all on the inside, right? Yeah. Well, start by looking at what's happening in your life and realizing that you're not a helpless victim of fate, that everything that happens to us resonates based on what we have put forth in the first place. That gets rid of the blame right out of the gate. That gets rid of a lot of drama, doesn't it? Yeah, it it could. It can. It can. It should. If, If we're willing to do that, it's really much more comforting and much more dramatic to be, you know, the helpless victim. And I don't say this in the sense that the things that happen to us come as punishments. They just come as a result. It could be the result of, you know, you're doing uh, an an economic kindness to someone and discovering a week later that your third cousin, Aunt Tilly, left you $10,000 in her will. I mean, it could come in a lot of different ways. We don't acknowledge that these are natural, real cycles of life that are happening. So the first thing is to be responsible, take responsibility. And again, by responsibility, I do not mean blame. Responsibility to me means being able to respond, being present enough to see it and respond and to take ownership of what happens. So that's the first inside one. Another inside tool that I find very helpful is understanding, discovering, digging to find what my own limiting beliefs or personal lies are. We all tend to function around some or one in particular, usually stemming from early in our lives, that have an unconscious but definite impact on us. And so for me, mine is not enough. Uh, not good enough, not skinny enough, not, uh, now that didn't used to be true, you know, in my 30s and before I was nothing more than a size 5, but things change, or not smart enough, or not tall enough, or not networked enough, or not connected enough, or whatever it is, for me, not enough is one, Uh, and I used to think it was not good enough that my personal lie was this feeling of I'm not good enough for certain things. And, you know, a lie is just that. It is, it is, the, truth, uh, it is the truth in disguise. It's masquerading in a sense because other people see us in ways that we oftentimes don't see ourselves. So it's important to uncover what it is that's motivating us, whatever the core wound might be or that lie might be that is stopping us. You know, and it sometimes really? it disguises itself or appears like this. It appears in a need to be right about things. I mm-hmm. have a client, and I was teasing him about this. I was encouraging to take on a, a, a new opportunity um, to to buy companies. So we're going mm-hmm. through this uh, process that if you do it 100% of the time, I have 100% wins on this. If you follow this process, you are going to acquire a company. And the only time it hasn't worked is if someone gives up the the course of of uh, of this this process. It always mm-hmm. works if you work it. So as he started down this path, and he had never had any experience with with buying companies before, as he started down this path, his first effort hit a stone wall, mm-hmm. and he, within moments, had created a stereotype and a belief about how this is going to go down. Yeah. <laughs> 
based on based on your vast experience of doing it, we just had to take one But there, and he was really fun, you know, because he could recognize this. But we were laughing about how right away we want to be able to define and then be right, so we mm-hmm. keep that pattern going, whether yes. or not it's perfect. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. That's and the so important piece. Every now and then, go. Does it matter? Would I win by that being right here? You know, Wayne Dyer says I could be right or I could be happy. Yeah. I could be right yeah. or I could be rich. You know, I could be right you know, or I could be in relationship. Yeah, I could be that right. Or I, could, yeah, I could be kind is another mm-hmm. way. But that so there are these these um, this having to be right about things is one of the ways that this is going to appear in your life. I think. Yes. That's a, that is one, and there, you're right. There are a number of of things. There was something I was thinking about as you were giving that example. I'm glad uh, I'm right about that gentleman. being right thing. <laughs> <laughs> I can so, Yeah. So doing the work to see what one's personal lie might be. Sometimes uh, uh, I remember it, as I was learning this, uh, there were people in the class who were born to parents who wanted them to be the other sex. You know, I was a girl, my my father always wanted a boy. And so part of her behavior was always proving she was good enough. She was as good as the boys, you know, because her lie was I'm not good enough as a girl. And it's a subliminal kind subliminal kind of thing and we often don't know our parents don't purposefully do this to us most of the time. They were not raised in a conscious way either. Right. Uh, so Aware, then this this step is starting to just ask questions about the things you hold to be true. Yes, I think there are certainly many ways you can do it: asking questions about things you hold to be true, looking at the way you respond to things, what your automatic reactions might be, and something similar to the gentleman who, you know, needed to be right and create a scenario that will fulfill it. Because remember what we we said: we will create the reality based on our expectation. All the forces in the world come to answer the request you put out there. And if it's, I need to be right about this, this needs to fail so I can be right that it doesn't work, that's what will come. So the first thing is uncovering your your limiting belief uh, around whatever it is you're doing. And then there's a, a middle step, and it's called uh, crafting a turnaround. Um I know from, you know, uh, Ellen, you and I listened to a lot of the Abraham Hicks, Hicks material and the wheel that was one of the things that was um, uh, suggested. So, for example, when I'm having a limiting belief about, you know, this is not going to work out, I just am not ready to do this, I'm, I'm not credentialed enough, I'm not educated enough uh, to pull off X, Y, and Z that I want to do, then I'll start by creating small turnarounds. And by that I mean... Where can I latch on to that I do believe? So I may start with, uh, well, I've done similar things before and they've been successful. Uh, I might go to, I got an award for doing this once before. I have all of the tools that I need to make this work. These four or five people I know will support me in doing it. So you see, each thing I'm saying is helping me turn around that belief that I can't do this, that I'm not credentialed enough, that I'm not ready to pull this off. I have all the money I need to do it. Practical, tactical. Yes, yes, little things. Nice. Yep. 
you do the turnarounds in little ways. You know, like turning the ship a little at a time, a little at a time. And so once I've gotten to the point where I have a, a turnaround that is working for me or several of them that help me change my feeling and thinking about this, uh, then I use several different tools. I start with creating affirmative statements. I'll do visualizations around it. I'll bring in other people to to help me reinforce it, what Napoleon Hill called the Mastermind Alliance, folks who are in agreement with the highest conception of my of me and my abilities who holds a high watch for me as it it says in the christian literature uh who keep the light on on the porch for me when i'm astray who agree with what it is i want to do and i call on them uh and i and i meditate i meditate as well uh visualization can take the form of creating vision boards of having pictures up of this is a finished product or things that symbolize for me what will happen, what will be the state I'll be in once this is accomplished. I may uh, have a registration of a picture of a registration form with 350 names on it or uh, have a vision of someone holding my hand and saying, I really enjoyed this, this helped my life a lot or I'll write affirmative statements uh, that are present tense statements, not I want to have a successful event, but I am the producer of a highly successful event, puts me in the state of having accomplished what it is I am intending. You know, as you say this, too, you're, this is sound, it's solid, and yet if we have patterns that cause us to think differently, it takes discipline and practice. It and does take a practice. of practice that will allow you to make these um, practices manifest, will allow you to reap the fruit of the seeds you're planting. It isn't going to happen right away necessarily, but the relief and the the lack of, the reduction of stress can happen right away. Mm -hmm. I have to say, I've had one or two times in my life when using these tools, I have had results come in days. So much so that uh, the first time it happened, uh, it scared me so much. I didn't do it again for a couple of years. It happened oh, you realize how so powerful quickly. You were? Yes, yes, exactly, funny? exactly. It, now it's interesting too. Do you did you let go of it? You know, like put the seed in the ground and let it be, as opposed to dig it up all the time. Had you let go of it and had it come back around that fast? Well, it was. Uh, I wanted a position at um, a television station. And uh, I I went and asked, first of all, if I could intern. And they said, no, I was no longer a college student. I was actually on the air and radio, and I was teaching communications at a college. And they said, no, we only do college students. So I went to one of my colleagues who was in charge of the interns and asked him to put me on his class roster. And then I went back and got an internship. And um, when I went for the internship, uh, I was in the newsroom. And there were 10 other interns, and the newsroom is one big, you know, TV newsroom, huge, big, busy, getting towards the 6 o'clock news, and was very little for me to do. And one young woman who was a producer of the 6 o'clock in the morning show said, if you come and intern with me, I'll show you everything. She came in at 10, 10.30 that night and stayed till the next morning. So I started coming in either at 11 or I'd come in at 3 or 4 in the morning and work with her. 
in the meantime, I was doing my affirmations about I uh, am part of a dynamic news studio. I just wrote all different kinds of ways that I was in a position in that newsroom. Uh, I couldn't get an interview with the news director. So at one point, I wrote a letter to the angel or higher self of his secretary, whose job it is to gatekeep. And when I went in one evening, I just read the letter to her empty desk. And so that we were friends. You know I belong here. I'm an asset to this organization. In fact, you really want to help me because you really see my potential and you know that I'll be a great colleague. They had a bulletin board of Polaroid shots of all of the employees. And I looked at the bulletin board and I mentally found a space where my picture would go. And I would walk past that bulletin board to the restroom and just see my picture there. Upstairs in the newsroom, at the bottom of the stairs, upstairs was where the general manager and the marketing people and advertisers were, and there was a sign that said, employees only beyond that point, and I would picture myself walking up the stairs because I would have to be an employee to go beyond that point. And two weeks from the day I started interning, two weeks later, a producer left, an associate producer moved up, a production assistant moved up, and they Word had spread about this intern who was coming in in the middle of the night, and I was offered the job and got it. Oh, that's lovely! And that really start, that startled you at the time. That oh it my did. God, that's so powerful. It did. It did. I mean, I knew it worked because I was going to do it, but I didn't expect it to work like that. <laughs> <laughs> and it did. Yeah. Well, if we, uh, uh, you know, be careful what you ask for because yes, it will exactly. come to pass, and that can be. A wonderful thing or yet another moment to be uh, afraid and uh, to create the seeds of transformation yet again. So I as we do the turnaround, I know, look at that. Wow. We have this has been great. Up. So what would you like to share? I mean, it's been so so much fun visiting with you. It's my favorite part of doing this radio station is I invite people I love to come and talk to, talk to because this is the most uninterrupted time that you and I have had. Yes, it's it's true, in all the years we've known each other. Yes, I just feel like we've always known each other, and I was so excited to have you come on the show. And we had a lot of folks call in, but um, no interruptions, which just means I think that you were totally on target with what you were saying was just what what people were were hoping to hear on some level, anyway. And and we know there's more than what's uh, uh, always apparent. And if they email you with questions? Okay. one thing would you like to share that you came on the show and you thought, oh, I want to make sure I say this. Is there anything left unsaid that you want to mention before I say goodbye? I will only end with the quote that I use at the end of our events, and it is from Eleanor Roosevelt, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dream. Oh, that is so inspiring. You are so inspiring, and I'm so glad that you have engaged in the practice of identifying what it is you want and going after it, and that you are now teaching people with your position as journey agent. With Thank Bank you Mind so Million, much. And I'm sure in any other venture you decide to uh, to uh, um, embark on as you uh, take off on the next act in your life. Yay. So I'm so glad we're going to be playing together at an upcoming event. Yep. Yay. We certainly will. Thank you so much for having me, Ellen.
It is always a pleasure, my love. So I'll talk to you soon, and I'll let you know that this will be on our Blog Talk Radio show by tomorrow afternoon, and uh, we'll post it on Facebook, and you can pass around to folks who wanted to, to be here today and didn't get a chance. You can always listen later. Sure, love, love, and don't forget, to check us out at uh, www.makemineamillion.org. Absolutely. <laughs> Yay! Love Bye-bye. to you. Oh, no, we're out of time. Thanks to my super smart guest, and thank you for joining us. You can listen in again at blogtalkradio.com slash barebonesbiz. So down with the ball and chain of 20-hour workdays and piles of debt. Make some money. Fix and grow your own extraordinary business. And until next time, this is Ellen. I wish you love, peace, prosperity, and freedom.